you know, they would be fancy to win uh, with they've been in top of the league. But I can tell you that Carrick had a big win uh, away to um, Galwegian's um, uh, turns on uh, at the at the weekend, and um, they they were they will feel very confident um, going into the game against Banlaslow and. You know, Carrick um, yeah, have been improving all the all the time, and this will be a very big game for Carrick. A very, you know, first time to be in in a in a, a, a league final, the Junior One C league final. So, you know, we'd like to wish uh, all clubs well and that they have an enjoyable day yeah, in in Craig's. And you know, great work uh, going on there. Uh, is Stephen King been part of the management team there with the with the with the, with the first team, he's also involved with youth and minis um, within Carrick. Um, you know they're putting the structures in place, and you know they they pay a dividend, and it just shows that when you do put structures in place, how, how they work. It, if you can see it, even on the international stage, that the Italy team has come on uh, very well as a result of Conor O'Shea and Stephen Abu, the two Irish men that put the structures in place for. For Italy, that uh, from under 18s, under under 20s, up in, and a lot of them players are coming through, and the management team are holding back the Italians. So you know that that's what you know the way Carrick and Shannon and other clubs are looking at to to, to build from from the from the youth up, and it's the same uh, with the women's teams as well um, within within all the clubs. So you know. Again, that's a that's a big game on our on, on our doorstep in 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 Craig's at half past two on on Sunday. That's great, and we'd like to wish them all the best. And finally, I suppose on the uh, AIL stage will be uh, Sligo RFC, both the the underage at uh, underage level and adult level. Yeah, Sligo. Yeah, Sligo again uh, are progressing well. Um, you know, they they have a few tough games in in the AIL. Uh, they they continue to do well and. Their, you know, their youth structure, um, as I said on this program before, uh, is you know is second to none. Like they, they have done a lot of good work, uh, both uh, the boys and girls within within Sligo in in improving the squad, and they have supplied a number of players. Yeah, you know, if you were to to look at various clubs around Ireland, um, Sligo. To be Sligo players and that they're on a, playing with a lot of other clubs and college teams and um, uh, around Ireland as well. So it just shows that you know that once you come through the rugby system, that if you end up working or in college uh, somewhere else, that you that you can go go there if you have the proper training and have played up through the structure to uh, play with other teams and you know Sligo. Uh, Probably, you know, they would love to have uh, a lot of their players back, but they they have been great too to uh, produce some players. No more than our Dennis Buckley here, and Dennis has uh, signed a new contract um, with Connacht. Um, Sligo have produced a number of players there for the the Connacht side uh, over the years, and at under age structure, under eighteens, um, under twenties, uh, up in, into. Um, in, 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 into the kind of uh, structure, and you know it's um, fantastic during the week that um, Dennis Buckley has signed a, a further three-year contract uh, with with Connacht. I, I'm delighted uh, for Dennis. I'm delighted for his for his family um, that he he has been given a, a, a another contract. And actually enough, we have we will have a whole new change of 
of uh, management structure with the with the with the kind of team uh, for you know for next season as well. So you know, um, Andy Friend will be will be departing the scene after after this season. So there's new people that will be will be taking over the the whole the whole backroom team hasn't been named yet. But the, so the the assistant the assistant has been. Uh, put forward uh, or is is uh, gone in as as coach for the coming season. So you know, all to look forward within within Connacht kind of rugby as well. And um, and it's you know, we always have to think too of our two um, Murray lads and um, Jack Carty and all the players uh, from Roscommon as well. That that's um, a very big part of the of the of the, of the kind of structure at the minute. That's it, and uh, you know, uh, as we know, due to uh, Ireland being back, we're, we're going to touch on that in a minute. Ireland are back; uh, they're they're away to. I think they're away to Italy this weekend um, after the international break. So we'll be we'll be touching on that in a minute. But uh, is there anything going on at underage level with Connacht, or is it is it a weekend off for the underage structure? Well, uh, yes, it is, but it's just uh, that there's, you know, that the under eighteen girls uh, did well. Um, now they'll be uh, wondering to see how many of them uh, did did good enough to maybe go the the next stage to the green jersey that they get into the Irish squad or that there. So we'll wait and see whether from a, from a Craig's point of view whether we'll we'll have any players that ha- have got through. We had six girls involved in the in the squad kind of squad. And it'll be lovely to see one or other of them getting through to the uh, international squad. So we we we, we watch this space and we see. Him. I'll, I'll announce it to, on this program uh, when 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 we know what the what the team is. But as it regards the Irish team, they're yes, they're a big game away to in Rome this weekend against against Italy. Um, it's a it's a big game. The captain Johnny Sexton. Uh, has cried off with injury during the week. Um, also, Tyke Byrne um, done ankle damage uh, to his um, ligaments in, in his ankle and had a small operation since, so he'll be missing as well. So I think um, uh, Annie Farrell will will make a, a number of changes, um, you know, for for um, for for Saturday's game. And uh, you know, it could be it could be a big game because uh, Italy, Italy, you know, if you were to watch the Closely, the the game against France, they were unlucky to lose it. Um, those stages within the English game that they they could have uh, scored a number of tries. So you know it will be Ireland will want to be on guard uh, uh, for for them and wouldn't want to take them lightly. I'd say uh, that's where uh, Ireland would be probably done their homework. They would have seen things like you know the rugby match, the rugby match against um, against France and the the game against England, and they'd be saying right, well you know what. You know that probably ha- happened at certain stages throughout the game, so they'll be probably doing their homework on that. And uh, you know, whereas people might say, "Oh, well, this is only Italy." Well, when you look at those two games that we're after outlining, there, they're not the pushover that maybe they, they once were. So, uh, uh, but th- that's kind of good. It's 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 shown that uh, you know that they're. they're they're on the way up to the, the actual, actual standard where, where the likes of Ireland, Italy, and or where the likes of Ireland and uh, France and you know and all the top sides are in England. And oh, you're right, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely, and you're spot on there because it is good. It is good for the championship. It's good for the Six Nations that uh, Italy ha- have improved, and you know it's 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 making it 
that uh, you know that you that no team now can go to to Rome and and take Italy for granted. So you know, two, a number of big a number of big games. Uh, of course, most of the talk during the week, Aidan, uh, uh, was in relation to the the Welsh setup and the the professional game within Wales. And you know, sadly, uh, it's um, it's it's affecting the players and it has dragged on too long by the. By the professional management that they haven't, you know, that they hadn't it sorted out before the the Six Nations started, but and the players got all caught up in it. So at least um, the um, Wales and England game uh, goes ahead this weekend, and also the Scotland and France game. So there'll be there'll be three big games to to look forward to on the, on the international stage uh, over the weekend. Uh, in. That's it. And then just before before we go, uh, Adrian, I'd just like to give a special mention to our friends on the AIL Rugby and Club Rugby um, page, Facebook page. They, um, I, I obviously share this uh, this podcast on on the on their Facebook page, and I've got some some great some great feedback. And I'm sure you know a, num- a number of the people involved in that, and uh, that are involved in some of those clubs as well. That's uh, that's featured, and it's it's quite a good Facebook page because it's great. It shows you everything that's going on around, you know, around the country at grassroots level. It's it's a very good. I, I look at it myself now on some of the posts and tells you about all the different clubs around the, you know, and how they're getting on. It's it's a very informative uh, Facebook page, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. It's a. Uh... Um, it's uh, it's great to, great to see the work uh, that Gerald Wilkinson is doing there. Uh, Williams is doing, and, and the people involved, and you know, putting up all the AIL and club rugby uh, uh, across all the, the the various provinces, and giving us the results, giving us what's going going on in in in, in clubs throughout, throughout Ireland. And uh, you know, we we thank him and his team. Uh, for for doing that because it is bringing it home. Uh, it's just nice to 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 look it up and to just maybe see what's what's happening maybe in the in the club down in Skibbereen or up in Ulster or you know all over you know some clubs that that I that I would have played against over the years and it's you know always be interested to see how they're going or how they did at the weekend and yeah. you know Gerald is bringing that home to us on on his Facebook page. That's it, and like I've often got uh, feedback from him and other people. You know, they, when I, when I post the link on it, uh, there's always a lot of likes, and uh, you know they're glad about the the covers that we give uh, grassroots rugby. So it's just nice to kind of mention them and and tell them that you know we appreciate the sort of stuff that they put up on their Facebook and how informative it is. So we'd like to thank everyone involved there. So listen, thanks very much for taking the time out to do rugby view. Just before you go in, yeah. I'd just like to pass a, a vote of uh, condolences to the Luby family uh, on the death of Albert Senior. Uh, he was a great stalwart in the club, very involved in the under under age system uh, back in the eighties, um, uh, in the nineties, and so on. So, and he, you know, four of his family would have would have played rugby with the with the club, and you know, uh, again, um, we we just. Uh, you know, remember him at, at at this stage as as a great person and great person that was involved in the youth, a great supporter of, of the teams over the years. That's it, and uh, I'd like to extend my sympathy and thoughts and prayers uh, to the family and friends, and indeed the, the the community and everyone everyone at uh, 
at the at the club as well. So and uh, it's it's a tough time at this at this time. So uh, just to let us let them know that uh, and assure them that our prayers are with them at at this time. Uh, so thanks very much for taking the time out to do this with us, uh, Adrian. And we look forward to doing it all again next week. And hopefully, well, we hopefully we'll be uh, we'll be discussing another great victory for uh, for Ireland. And uh, you know they they really are going on a great uh, on a great uh, unbeaten run. So who's to say? We're, we're really online for winning the Six Nations. Hopefully, I'll be able to bring the, the cup <laughs> on the program next weekend, uh, Aidan. Yeah. Hopefully, that'll be great. Yeah, lovely stuff. Thanks very much. And that was Adrian Eddy from Craig's Rugby Club. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? You're very welcome to this week's League of Ireland chat with myself, Aidan Rafferty. And to take us through all the things League of Ireland, all the fixtures this weekend, uh, both in the First Division and in the Premier Division, we have Robbie Mulvey from uh, Athlone Community Radio. Hello, Robbie. How are you? Are you well? How's it going, Aidan? Yep, I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. No, not too bad. Great to uh, great to have you back as always. And don't forget about the uh, we must mention the fifty fifty draw, the Ross FM fifty fifty draw that takes place every fortnight. The next draw takes place next week, uh, next Friday. So uh, get it. It's easy to uh, it's easy to enter. Just buy one envelope for two euro or three for five euro. And uh, when you buy an envelope, you're uh, you're supporting your local radio station. So uh, yeah, so there's plenty to be talking about in the League of Ireland circuit this week. Uh, the main story is Hull City Hull City boss Liam Rosenoir has uh, confirmed that the Championship Club are in talks to purchase controlling stake in uh, in Dundalk. That's a, that's a very big story, isn't it? Yeah, well, there's actually been a, an update to that over the last hour and a half. Dundalk's owners insist that no deal has been agreed with any investors and speculation that Hull City were on the brink of taking a controlling stake in the club, uh, Hull City manager Liam Rossiner yesterday told the media that the Championship Club were in talks to take over at Oriel Park. The comments followed reports in Loud newspaper the Argus that Hull City were closing in on a takeover deal. However, owners, uh, Dunlock owners Sean O'Connor, Alan Clark of Stat Sports, and Andy Connolly of Fastfix released a statement earlier this afternoon saying that they remain in talks with three different groups of potential investors and that no deal had yet been agreed. The trio insisted that they were not eager to sell the club. However, they were interested in seeking out partners to help them in their aims of combining success on the pitch with a much-needed investment in the Oriel Park infrastructure. So basically, the, the story that came out was that uh, Hull City were looking to take, a, control, uh, take a, a controlling stake within the club and basically use the club as a feeder uh, system uh, the idea being that they would uh, send young players from their underage program over to Dundalk to get some game time experience. And also, uh, if there was any promising young players from the club, they would also go straight from uh, the Dundalk uh, club all the way over to Hull City. Uh, the other, uh, the other um, theory behind Hull uh, City wanting to take uh, over a stake in Dundalk FC was that it was a potential way of getting around uh, the Brexit situation. Of course, young players have now got to wait until they're 18 before they go over to England. But one way around that would be for uh, the the, the club who uh, has an owner of of Turkish extraction. He's got a a very good uh, uh, network of contacts within the Turkish league and any young players that he would want to bring over to England he could potentially bring them over to Dundalk first and then wait for them to be uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to uh, 
Hulk City wants to take over um, Dundalk. But as you heard, they're saying that they have if they'd had exploratory talks with Hulk City. But we do know that they are looking with, uh, they are talking to other potential financial investors over the next couple of months. So we'll just have to sit tight and wait to see how that works out. That's it. And, uh, but, but I mean, like from what you're saying as well, it, it shows, uh, shall, shall we say, um, extreme arrogance to a certain extent from Hull City that the, the, maybe they, they thought that all was all done and dusted. They, they didn't see it. Uh, they, they thought all was agreed or something. They're, you know, because normally you'd say, right, you'd get the okay from the club before you go making an announcement like that. Yeah, well, I mean, I think... I wouldn't call it arrogance, maybe. Maybe it was a case of wires crossed, but I definitely, if I was in Dundalk shoes, I would definitely not be happy with, you know, a club coming out and, and, and telling people without, you know, without everything being verified or without all of the, um, all of the, uh, well, without every, everything being on the table and being agreed and, and signed, sealed and delivered. Mm. I certainly would not be very happy with the club, uh, club coming out and saying that they've, uh, that they're interested in buying a club or, or interested in using Dundalk um, in the manner that they've they've perceived to, to, to do it. Um, you know, there's there's some pluses, but there's a lot of negatives to me with a team coming out and, and, and looking to use a club as nothing more than a feeder club or a development club. I think if the League of Ireland want to get serious about being a proper league and a proper club, a uh, proper uh, organisational stance on its own two feet, we are going to need to, you know, they are going to need to show that they can, um, they can be, you know, they can develop, we can develop ourselves as a proper footballing entity without having to become, um, uh, you know, without having to be an agreement with other clubs. Yeah. But, um, well, I suppose, yeah, so uh, I suppose watch the space is the, is the moral of this, that story until until we know more, I suppose. But it is certainly a, an interesting story and uh, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see, I suppose, what steps Dundalk take about that because, um, as, as you said there, there'll be some stern words and I'm sure uh, a, lot of, a lot of stern um, Zoom calls, <laughs> video yeah. calls, to, you know, done about that. But uh, I suppose now, moving on then to a quickfire roundup is... In the Irish, in the Irish uh, Mirror, Longford Town captain uh, Sam Van Verdon has left has left the club after be after just one game of a, of the new season. That's that's very strange, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll just run through these really quickly. First up, as you mentioned, uh, Longford Town captain Sam Verdon has left the club after just one game of the new season. Verdon, who was in his sixth year with the Midlanders, either side of spells with Finn Harps and Bray had only signed a new contract in December. He played in last Saturday's 3-1 defeat to uh, at home tribals at Lone Town and Mr. Pansy late in the game. Neither party has revealed the reasons for uh, the uh, for the abrupt nature of the departure, but Verdon's uh, contract was cancelled before Wednesday night's transfer deadline day. Uh, it means the attacking midfielder can now be snapped up as an out-of-contract uh, out professional and uh, sorry, Wexford are understood to be interested. So that is very uh, very strange and very interesting as well. Uh, he would have been one of the players that they would have banked on as being one of the leaders in the dressing room for, throughout the year. So it, it's again, we'll just have to stay tuned and see what the full story on that is. Um, we're going to move on because Shamrock Rovers are running the rule over a Polish goalkeeper, Patrick Prosek, 
who's 27, played for the Harps under 19s, I'm sorry, the Hoops under 19s in a 2 2 draw with the Ireland Amateurs in Whitehall on Wednesday night. Prosek is a free agent, having left Sufit side AEL uh, Limassol last year, where he had a loan spell with second tier side Paik, uh, which is spelled P A E E K. Uh, Rovers number one, Alan Manis, is turning 41 in May, and this is expected to be his last season as a player. It's no real surprise they're looking for other goalkeepers, as, as noted there. Alan Manis, he's been a very reliable goalkeeper for, for over the last number of years. Of course, he was the guy that took over Gavin Bazunu's uh, spot when Bazunu went to Southampton, uh, or Man City, rather, before he went to Southampton. But as noted there, he is going to be turning 41, so they are going to have to look at other options as well. There's a couple of backup players that they are looking at as well, and a couple of younger options from their underage program. But uh, it looks like they're looking for experience with this uh, this guy. He's 27. He's had European experience. He's played in Europe. He's played in Greece. So they'll probably be looking for someone with a, a lot of experience to come in and eventually take over from Alan Manus. I just want to go over real quick the uh, the League of Ireland uh, match for tonight. The the one that. Uh, a lot of Atlanta fans will be looking at is the match with uh, Finn Harps, their first home game of the season. Atlanta Town are uh, on first division, are taking on first division foes. Finn Harps at the Atlanta Town Stadium tonight. Uh, that's Friday. Kickoff for tonight is at 7:45 p.m. The Black and Blue of the Midlands began their 2023 campaign with an impressive win away to Longford Town at Bishop's Gate. Uh, striker Franz Piro netted twice, while James, or sorry, Jamar Campion Hines. Also scored for Dermot Leonard's side at the Strokestown Road venue. But Piro will be suspended for their home clash against Harps after he picked up a second yellow card in the win against Longford. That was for a celebration where he attempted to take off his shirt. You're not allowed to do that these days. Finn Harps, under new boss Dave Rogers, was unable to secure an opening day win against Galway United. Finn Harps returned to action on Friday night against Lone Town, as you heard. Ryan Rainey netted for the County Donegal men, but two goals from the Trisman saw Harps slip to defeat in that game. So that is, uh, that's how the, um, that's uh, the, 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 the scene that's set for tonight's second match of the year for Athlone Town. They took on last year's uh, Premier Division side, Finn Harps. It's going to be a tough match tonight, and especially with Franz Piro being suspended, but you'd imagine that Tamar Campion-Hines will be the man to take his place tonight. And uh, it's going to be a really interesting game. If you're in the area, get down to Athlone Town uh, Stadium for 7.45 this evening. And don't forget, by the way, the President's Cup uh, takes place. The Women's President's Cup takes place tomorrow at 4 p.m. at Athlone Town Stadium. The first time ever that the uh, ladies will have a President's Cup match uh, for the ladies, uh, the, National Senior, uh, the National Women's League. And uh, President Michael D. Higgins is expected to be at the match as well. Uh, I'm going to be. I'm, I'm going to have to hit the road because um, I'm going to hit the road. But I'll be back next week to uh, talk more League of Ireland uh, roundup with you, uh, Aidan. So uh, I'll talk to you then. Okay. No, pro- no problem. Thanks very much for your time there, uh, Robbie. And we look forward to talking to you next okay. week. And that Thanks, was. Uh, no I problem. Got a ticket. I got a ticket. Call. Okay, I'll chat to no you later. Thank you. Okay, bye. And that was uh, Robbie. That was Robbie Mulvey from uh, from uh, Athlone Community Radio doing all things in League of Ireland. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? You're very welcome to this week's uh, Formula One view. Myself, Aidan Raftery, and of course, as always, we have the number the number one fan in Formula One, and that is Michael O'Grady. Hello, Michael. How are you? Are you well? 
I'm not too bad at all, Aidan. How's things with yourself? Not too bad, no, not too bad. And uh, this week, before we go on to this week's, uh, we're going this driver that we're going to cover. I just want to place an order, please, for some food. Can I have a Gerhardt Burger meal, please? Uh, yeah, would you like uh, fries with that? Yes, and uh, and I'll have a, a club orange with that as well, please. <laughs> so, Gerhard uh, Burger. <laughs> yeah, that's right. so yeah, that's right, folks. We're ta- we're covering Gerhard Burger this week, and um, yeah, what a driver he was as well. Yeah, well, the reason we're covering him is because he was he was a, spam, a little bit back in the news again recently. He had a bit of uh, criticism about um, uh, the Aston Martin boss there recently. Uh, the team principal, Mike Crack, um, suggests he has an ambition unfulfilled and things like that was going on. So I thought, yeah, Gerhard is a man who shoots from the hip. A bit like, yes, it was Nicky. <laughs> you know what, Nicky's like, if he didn't like you, he told you he didn't like you. <laughs> so I thought, well, at, least, yeah. at least you know where you stand with him anyway. You know, I, I like people like that where you know where... Where the sandwich, yeah, uh, where you stand with them, and likewise, people always know where where they stand with me, and I'm sure it's the same with you because, uh, yeah. So if if he liked you, you knew about it, and if he didn't like you, you you were left in no doubt, sort of thing. Yeah. Type of guy, all right, and he was quite. Um, he could be, you know, point the odd finger and give the old bow wow wow from time to time, but as general rule, like Nicky Lauda about. Four out of five times he was right. <laughs> and again, uh, yeah, like if he if he didn't like someone or something like that, or if he was in a bad mood or whatever, there'd be a reason behind it, and that's that's kind of fair enough. Maybe you know something might have went wrong, or you know during a race, or um, a mistake might have been made, or. Something might be wrong with a tire or something, and it wasn't double checked or something. So, you know, it's fair enough if there's, um, I suppose, if there's a reason behind it. Yeah, very, very, very true. And uh, no faster gentleman to apologise to if he gets something wrong, but you don't get something wrong that happens. So, he may have a point with that. Um, yeah. Who can say? You know, he may have a point with, with what he's been saying. What he was born to. 27 August 1959, a lot older than you and me, of course, Aidan, at least, you know, 30 yeah. years by yourself. And uh, he is an Austrian because uh, he was born in Wargall, and I think that's how you pronounce it. Don't quote me on that. That's outside um, Austria, isn't it? Yeah. His father actually was uh, owns his own truck company. I suppose that kind of gives people, um, you know, a, a, a bit of a background in cars and trucks and, and maybe piques the old interest in racing a bit, perhaps. Um, I, I've always found with the vast majority of the drivers, there's some connection uh, back to racing in some shape or form. You know yourself, they tend to get in to these things quite young, you know. He did, he, he was working with his father for a while before, being promoted to a, a, a racing driver in the in the European Formula Three, and he moved up from there to Formula One in 1984. Forty. Now here's a name you don't hear anymore. ATS team. There. It was great back then, actually. I, I suppose between the kind of all the way up to maybe the end of the eighties, you got these um, spurious teams that were, you know, often run by uh, an, an eccentric lord or somebody like that, like, you know, trying to get the money together to, to raise 
good to way because of course it's all big business now with big car manufacturers and big teams as they say you know so it was good in a way that you see the the, the, the old eccentric millionaire in there every now and again you know yourself in uh, yeah. like Boss uh, FM and Paul Egan well this is well you know a rare breed <laughs> very true you know yourself it is very very true um, by chance his first car crash I see here was Occupy was a uh, uh, two surgeons who specialise in back injuries. Um, he went cartwheeling off a, a, a cliff in Salzburg, believe it or not, in a BMW 323i. Now, this is very early on in his career. Well, if you're going to do it, do it in style, he, he obviously did. <laughs> very, very true, yeah. it's um, <laughs> And he did. Uh, the injuries, he had a broken neck and some damaged bones on his back, believe it or not. And, and they had to make sure he was not moving, so they made specialist equipment um, for that following emergency surgery. But I mean, he made a full recovery, and 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 went on to do and everything else is to say, you know, nineteen eighty five, he went to Arrows. That's a team that um, people do know about. Thierry Bootson is a name I haven't heard in a while. Um, but they were kind of hampered by the Arrows. It wasn't a great chassis, and to be. Honest, the BMW engine they had at the time, great power in it, but you know, the two just didn't combine together. I suppose that's a bit like Ferrari. They've got a really stunning engine, but they just can't get the rest of the car to work with it. And that was the case in that case. It wasn't until 1986 Benetton who, you know, came to prevalence of Michael Schumacher winning two world championships for him, that everything really took off for the Meyer. Car that kind of allowed him to attack a bit more you know he yeah. really really did a good job and that was covered by uh, that uh, couple with Pirelli who you know as a general rule have very clever tyre tr- strategies on, on time you know it was back in the day where you had more tyre manufacturers were competing against each other and you know it was like again in the Ferrari days you know we had two tri- tyre manufacturers one was a minor tyre manufacturer but could, could give different clues and different points than and than the main manufacturer. And it, it worked quite well, actually, to be quite honest with you. He did very, very well. Poor old Gerhard. He moved on to Ferrari in 1987. Uh, Michaela Alboreto, another name. <laughs> yeah. Another old name from the day. You know, I remember... Uh, 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 Michaela Alboreto, to be quite honest with you. It, it didn't really work out well for him at the start. He had a lot of mechanical failures, uh, but he very strongly um, in the last half of 1987 with uh, two uh, wins uh, from the season. So that was pretty safe for him. And he did very well while he was with Ferrari and then he moved on to McLaren from 1990 to 1992 where he joined Ayrton Senna. Now, I'd say joining Ayrton Senna would eclipse anybody. What do you think, Ed? It would it wouldn't be your normal everyday run of the mill thing either. But uh, just touching on it there, you were you were saying about like he had a bad start and that and uh, finished strongly. But w- w- was that kind of a form thing where he, he might start off the season might start off kind of slowly and then kind of build up and and improve during the season, or was it was it only the odd time that that happened? It was mainly, to be honest with you, in that situation. Um, it- Issues. Ferrari just, uh, the car wasn't, uh, shall we say, as good as some. And um, the engines were giving him a bit of trouble. Now, 
you know, Ferrari being Ferrari, they moved rather large mountains in order to make that car a lot better. And, and that, that's what they tend to do. Um, I'm, I'm sure the 2023 season now, Ferrari will see them with a lot less uh, reliability issues, which personally I think uh, lost charge world championship this year um, but uh, at the same time that, that's really all it was he, he he was a good driver probably if the car was better for him at the start he could have done an awful lot better if you get me but I mean you know it, it, it was Ferrari in his first year he finished fifth which is quite impressive uh, considering that the first half of the year was, was absolutely dreadful as to say, yeah. you know it was absolutely awful um so i mean that was great for him uh, to a certain get that good i mean in those three years ferrari um he finished fifth third and seventh the third year wasn't as great but he didn't do too bad now in fairness with him you know he was a consistent driver and he did very very well it, it, it is gas that he did uh, worse in his last year yeah. considering his first year had a lot of mechanical failures and he did yeah. quite well but I, I think a lot of um, a lot of the problems with McLaren was to a certain extent they got on very well they were very good friends but I mean you can imagine being in McLaren at that time going to be Ayrton Senna's teammate. You're never going yeah. to be Gerhard Berger. You're going to be Ayrton Senna's teammate first. I mean, you know, he's, he did quite well there. There's, there's no arguing with it. And he often quali- qualified second behind Senna. But, you know, it depends on the driver. Some people are quite happy. Uh, Rubens Barrichello one time was asked about Ferrari and Michael Schumacher. Did he not feel a bit hard done by and uh, Rubens turned around and said, "I was the second best driver um, five years. Why is that not? Why is that an issue?" Some people are happy to do that, and then again, yeah. some people aren't. And, and I kind of got that Gerhard wasn't particularly happy with that. And again, uh, he was persuaded by Senna, believe it or not, who told him that Honda would leave for one at the end of 1992 to move across to Ferrari. Uh, and also, uh, I mean, you know, even McLaren, who didn't have a works engine at the time, you know, it was kind of a bit unusual. And then, of course, he was joined by his countryman, Nicky Loud, as well, the Italian team, as well, in 1993. So, I mean, that was a, that was a very uh, valuable partnership. valuable experience, I'm sure, that he learned from Senna. Or at the same time, it, it, it probably would have been nicer for him if he if he had been the number one driver. I mean, again, with Nicky Lauda, you know, Nicky went on to do absolutely amazing things. Notwithstanding his accident and massive battle and, and refusing to run the last race there when he was against Hunt that time. But I mean, Lauda won World Champion after that. So it would be kind of hard again he's kind of pigeonholed himself into driver number two, uh, maybe inadvertently, you know, again. Um, so I'm not quite sure his thoughts at the time. You know, I would have yeah. thought some skill and ability would want to push forwards uh, and get somewhere, you know. Um, and then his final seasons were with Benetton. With the arrival of Michael Schumacher in 1996, well, 
that was kind of the end of that. Somebody had to leave. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Ferrari were very eager to get Michael Schumacher, who was with Benetton. So, I mean, the two of them kind of did uh, a swap. You come to Ferrari, Benetton. And, you know, Benetton had won, won two world championships, which was not to be sneezed at. And Ferrari yeah. weren't doing as well. Well, they, they Michael Schumacher driving. But, you know, going back to Benetton, was probably maybe seen as a slightly better move than um, maybe was it could be seen as most people want to go to Ferrari. Every I don't know any driver on yeah. that doesn't want. That's to. what I was going to say because I mean if if you're in Benetton and and, and you get asked to join uh, Ferrari, well that would be a, a more of a dream move than the other way around. So it, it, for for me, it, it's kind of unusual. Would it be uh, would going from Ferrari to Benetton not be like a step down rather um, than a step up? But I suppose it, was it down to maybe the way things were at the time, as in as regards the engine and I suppose the team and the, and what what the car had to offer in a Formula One race, and I suppose. There was a higher possibility of of him winning races with Benetton rather than with um, Ferrari. What was the situation there that he kind well, of saw kind maybe as a step? It was kind of a strange situation. I'm not. Uh, I'm not saying uh, it wasn't a weird situation at the time, but you know, two times world champion Benetton with Michael Schumacher, and then Ferrari decide, well, we want Schumacher because basically driver, he was able to sit in the car and tell you what's wrong with it, and tell you how you need to improve, and tell you how it feels and what he needs adjusted and that is, for such a young driver at the time, that was really unusual, it's normally why the older drivers get employed like, you know, the Bastian Vettels and the, um, you know the, those sort of people get employed in order to be able to do that because their experience tells them a lot, but for knew they were not doing well and they wanted to do better and they thought yeah. with a driver like Schumacher who's so technical and has done you know, do his bit with Benetton as well, he just wasn't a good He was kind driver. of doing the mechanics job for them as well, like he was able to tell the, the mechanics what needed to be done rather than, than the mechanics having to diagnose what needed to be done Well to a certain extent yes, you know he's pointing them in the right direction, you know this, this is pulling on it's wearing too much on one side, or what you know, their aerodynamics aren't good enough, or whatever. He pointed it's the feel right of the car, really, isn't it? Uh, how it is going around the track, it is. But he was great at developing a car, too, to make it faster. You know, that yeah. was something that he was really gifted because I mean, he was brought in by Ferrari to bring them back to a winning team. Now, he did bring Jean Tote and Ross Braun with him. I suppose it's like everything sort of someone who's really good does spot the other people who are really good and he knew he'd have a better chance if he had the two of them because they're, they're, they all work together very well they all understand each other they all talk the same language it does help nobody knows anybody and then everybody has to learn who's who and who's what and who does what you know so to a certain extent that was good but you know even and um, you know we'll, we'll turn around and tell you without Schumacher they probably wouldn't have won as quickly um, they probably would have got eventually but they wouldn't have won but then you know Michael changing over he could have won another season with Benetton I reckon but you know Gerhard 
okay, we need somebody specialist in who can do this. So, you know, goodbye, Gerhard. Oh, by the way, uh, Benetton are looking for you. And they've just won two Formula One championships back to back. You know, you're kind of thinking, well, this is not a bad move. (laughs) These guys have a bit to go yet, you know. These guys are trying to pull themselves forwards and uh, these guys are winning world championships. So you're going to think, that's bloody brilliant, but unfortunately work out any better for him. I mean, with Ferrari, uh, what did he get? He got an eighth place the first year, third place in 94, which was very good. Two third places and um, overall, and sixth place in 95. That didn't improve, uh, really. Yeah. 97 was the year he retired. He got fifth. So he was never really a world champion in Formula One. That said, I think a lot of he should have been a world champion in Formula One. And maybe to a certain extent, too, he did sort of spread himself to on. I mean, 84, he was in Formula One. But he was also in the Inter-Serie and in the European Formula 3. You know, all at the same year. Kind of bonkers. In 85, sure got worse. He was in Formula One, uh, the Dutch Touring Wagon, the European Touring Car, and the World Sports Car Champion. Um, you know, you want to be concentrating here. And in 86, okay, he turned it down a bit, Formula One and European Touring Car Championship. Really, those those three years where he's spreading himself so thin, perhaps if he didn't actually you know, cut himself so thin, he might have done better. Now, he, he was the man shy of winning a race. He hasn't won a lot of races, but I mean... He, won a race in uh, 94 he won a race he won two races in 92 in uh, Honda McLaren so I mean yeah. you know he wasn't shy of doing it was a particular race I do remember I think don't quote me but I think it was Melbourne when he was in a Benetton um, Berger kind of bounced back um, uh, he had done a terrible basic job it was and he bounced back in the Brazilian Grand Prix, finishing second after overtaking Mika Hacken and, and Michael Schumacher. I mean, come on, you know, <laughs> you're doing very well there, lad. You know, to, to be able to do that even once uh, is an achievement, really. You know, there was there's always been a bit of talk about him and Ayrton Senna, and I mean, uh, I suppose his early years, his McLaren ninety nine. Was he, he became very popular for his humorous side, which I suppose where he comes from is something you don't think of. <laughs> yeah, popular, yeah. popular things have said about kind of um, really ingenious practical jokes um, to break through the seriousness, focused, uh, kind of, you know, very, very, very serious and sober Ayrton Senna, you know, and um, yeah. as it went. Actually, you think that maybe they complemented each other, Ayrton Senna and Ger- Gerhard Berger, from that point of view? Or, like, did, did um, would you say that maybe Ayrton Senna would have seen the humor side of where where uh, Gerhard Berger was coming from on certain things, uh, with, with his sense of humor, or did he not like his sense of humor? Did they, did they rub each other up the wrong way, or did they complement each other? Did each other? I, I actually think, I mean. You know, soon after Gerhard played a few practical jokes on Ayrton Senna, and uh, you know, you would think Ayrton Senna wouldn't like that because you know, you, you never see the man looking anything other than seriously angry. Um, but no, Senna actually rose to that challenge too, and 
Ron Dennis was clever at the time because he kind of encouraged it um, a little bit, you know, as long as it didn't get out of control, as they say. But, but spurred him on a bit uh, as the joking escalated. And I think personally that Senna needed that. I yeah. think he needed yeah. that. He was too angry. He was too serious. You never saw him relaxing. You never, ever saw him relaxing. Now, he did, but you never really saw him relaxing that well. There was actually, I remember one in particular. It was in um, 1990. It could have been Austria. I'm not quite... Uh, we say Austria. Correct me if I'm wrong, please. Um, they started to throw okay, people bro. in the swimming pool. Yeah, they started to throw people in the swimming pool after <laughs> after the race, of course. And um, the two were uh, doing a good job of avoiding... <laughs> yeah. They were just piling them in, clothes and all, just straight into the swimming pool. But I do remember uh, if the two were trying to um, sort of avoid it. And he popped in to see, uh, later on that night, Ayrton was see him in Ayrton threw a glass of water at him. <laughs> so he got it anyway, you know. In a lot yeah. of ways, he got it anyway, you know, which wouldn't have been so bad. But, um, you know, I think there was one case where Berg, uh, Gerhard put frogs it had Ayrton Senna's bed. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, was Senna, he trying to say something there, was he? <laughs> yeah, Senna was a little bit infuriated by it, but he went up and replied. Which <laughs> <laughs> oh, was, was very good. Yeah, exactly. It was, I'm sure, look, it's like everything. There's always a bit of... Uh... I didn't hope you all keep me up there, Ross Common. Hello everyone. Hello everyone, how you doing? And you're very welcome to uh, this week's All-Ireland GA Memories with myself, Aidan Raffrey. And hello Tommy, how are you? And as always we have as always we have Tommy Dowling, our GA expert, to talk about uh, this week's All-Ireland uh, final, which is between uh, Dublin and uh, Tyrone. But I suppose we'll, we'll look back at the, the weekend's action just br- briefly there, uh, not the outcome you want, Kerry wanted this weekend against Mayo, but it has to be said, Mayo were very good at the weekend uh, in in Castlebar, and uh, it was good. It was good to see uh, David Clifford come on again uh, against you as well. And uh, I suppose there's a few more of the uh, of the All Ireland winning uh, forwards to come back as well. So I suppose you, you'd be strong for when it comes to playing Roscommon. Yes, and uh, you know, being true, but you look, I'm not making any excuses. Look. But I thought they'd carry all away after that the weekend against Mayo. Look, they're not away from Mayo's win. Look, they went out, they done their business. Look, it wasn't a true performance really by this Kerry team. Look, I think, you know, being truthful, as Jack said at the start there, he thought they'd carry maybe a couple of weeks behind uh, training due to the club championship. They look like a team that was overtrained. But look, come here, we'll move on. Look, we'll take it on the chin. Look, Mayo beat us, the better team beat us on the night. Look, and we'll move on Saturday to Austin Stack Park. And uh, we look forward to seeing our man. That's it, and uh, there'll be another. Uh, there'll be a, there'll be another team looking for lo- looking for a win. I suppose the next time that they're they're kind of a tough enough team to bet to beat. Even though Roscommon had a good win against them on uh, on Sunday, but uh, that that remain that remains to be seen. I suppose, but uh, it's uh, it's good to see Roscommon continuing their, their their good form. But I suppose uh, to move on now and we'll uh, we're we're talking about the, the twenty eighteen senior football all Ireland semi final between 
Dublin and Tyrone, and a bit of a break from the uh, from the Dublin Mayo saga. Uh, another another good side, a, a, a very physical side in this Tyrone team. Of course, no no love lost between those two. But I suppose before we carry on, just take us through the starting lineups for both teams on the day. Well, in goals with Stephen Cookson for Dublin, and number two with Philly McMahon, three with Keno Sullivan, four with Johnny Cooper. Uh, five you had John Small six you had Owen Mushin seven you had Jack McCaffrey eight you had Brian Finton nine you had James McCarthy ten Niles Scully eleven you had Con Callahan twelve you had Brian Hall thirteen you had Paul Mannion fourteen you had uh, Kieran Kilkinney and fifteen you had Dean Rock and the Tyrone team who, who won the All-Ireland final that day in goals was Niall Morgan Tierno McCann was two Ronan McNamee was three Paul Zuckamsey was four uh, Michael McKeever was five Matty Donnelly was six Rory Brennan was seven uh, Colum Kavanagh was eight Conor Myler was nine Kieran McGarry was ten Niles Thudden was eleven Kyle McShane was twelve Matt Bradley was thirteen Peter Hart was fourteen and Conor McInesky was fifteen so this was an unusual All-Ireland final they hadn't been true for you and, and it was one that I was actually at as well and you know to be true for you Tyrone came out of the blocks that day. They were racing. They were five one up eight, and, and they were they looked, they looked after fifteen or sixteen minutes. I don't forget it. They looked to be coarse, and, and the next thing, Aiden Dublin got a penalty, and Paul Manning banged the ball into the net. And after that, Dublin's went on. You know, they 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 they, they got a second goal. I think I think Niles Scully got a second goal. And you know, in fairness, Dublin outscored Tyrone. I think it was it was two five to a point. In, in a blistering second quarter in the first half and I suppose really at half time couldn't, couldn't come quick enough for, for, for Tyrone I think there were seven points down in half time look in fairness look you know the Tyrone were well in it up, were well into, well into until, the, until the penalty came and, and and another goal came afterwards that's it because I suppose all well all matches I suppose turn, have a turning point but especially all Ireland finals and I mean and like you just said there, the uh, the turning point in this game was uh, the penalty for Dublin, uh, ably dispatched as always. But you know when, when you compare these two, they're both evenly matched physically. But I suppose you, you know maybe fitness wise, Dublin would have had the edge on them. Um, I suppose on the scoring stakes, you know they weren't depending on just one or two each team. You know, there was an even spread of scores. So the the you know I, neither team were dependent on one or two players, which was uh, which was healthy for both teams as well. And that kind of led to to it being a very good a very good game. Um, both teams very good defensively, but uh, again the talent up front for both teams. But when you look at Dublin, though, uh, I mean you've Owen Merchant. He's like uh, you know he, he's uh, first and foremost he, he's a half back, but uh, you know he, he's not shy of contributing to score. Either you, you know he, he came up and he scored uh, you know in several in several matches he he, he scored uh, scored goals and um, scored goals and points at essential times so you know it's it's those kind of things that uh, Dublin had in their armory I suppose they're the kind of the secret weapons that they had against uh, well not so secret weapons but you know that were the undoing of Mayo I suppose in those say, uh, when, when uh, Dublin played Mayo in, in all Ireland finals. It happened to be kind of the same thing against uh, Tyrone on the day. It did, yeah. And I suppose, really, if you looked at the Dublin, the scores that day, you had Dean Rock, you had Paul Mannion, you had Kieran Kilkenny, who was outstanding in the second half. He got three points that day. 
You're a nice colleague who got the goal. Your Brian Finton was outstanding that day. I, I remember being there. He was outstanding. Centre field with Brian Hall, Jack McCaffrey, you had Kevin McMiniman, and you had um, you, you, uh, you had Michael Dallin McCauley. And in fairness, though, I mean, look, I'm not saying it for saying I thought Owen Watson was outstanding that day. He was yeah. number four that, and in fairness, he was outstanding. He gave one hell of a display that day. Look, but take nothing from away from Tyrone. They, 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 like I remember the second half that day, and I, I remember that um. That, that, that Dublin came out and you know they were all over the place defensive people but then I think Tyrone they, they, they went through a good phase I think they went 1-8 they, they, I think they outscored uh, Dublin by 1-8 to 10 points but Dublin look they got some fantastic scores in the second half that day you had the likes of Darren McCauley you had Jack McCaffrey got scored he went off injured you had Kieran Kilkenny who got 3 points that day you had Brian Finton he got 2 points and I think you had um, I like in fairness, all much like he was outstanding. He, he gave a, he gave a real. I mean, if any person ever gave a display in the All Ireland final that day, I remember. I remember being above in the Cusick stand, and he stood out by a mile. That's it, and I mean, not only on the pitch were they evenly matched, but when you look at the bench, I mean, the two managers, two very ta- you know tactically master tactic masters. You have uh, Mickey, you know, Mickey Hart. And also, and also, Jim, um, you know, Jim as well, Jim Gavin, who's uh, who has masterminded their their six in a row. I mean, it's very, uh, you know, two very tacti- two managers with, with great tactical expertise. But not only not only the management. Then you look on the the bench and you see the players that both teams have on the bench. Uh, both teams have on the bench. So um, now, I suppose from from a Dublin point of view, as such, it didn't actually, it didn't actually. Really wasn't really the difference on the day, but I suppose when when you look at Dublin, what they do is they have their starting fifteen, and then they bring on certain subs then um, to give a bit more energy then toward in the last five to ten minutes just to see out the game, and uh, that seems to, that seems to be Jim Gavin's approach, and it has worked in the All Ireland so far, well up until the last couple of years. But uh, you know, this is a this is a you know, I think those kind of things were key as well on the day for Dublin. They were, and I tell you, I was looking through the stats. I was doing a bit of work on this game all the week. There, I was even at the final, but I, I was looking at the stats there, and I couldn't believe like that. Tyrone had sixteen wides this day, and Dublin had only six. And as you yeah. say, look, I suppose really the starting fifteen for Dublin that day. Look, look, they were strong. They were, they were, they were their physicality. I mean, the forward line, they were, they were competing at pace. The half back line, the full back line, the goalkeeper, who's probably. Not if the greatest goalkeeper of all time. They were they played a fine unit of football and take nothing away from this Tyrone team that day. They went in seven points down at halftime. They came out in the second half and in fairness look, they came up probably against one of the greatest sides of all time. And I mean Dublin like they were going for four in a row this day, like and I mean there was no no one over hell or water was going to stop them. And in the last fifteen minutes, look, they owned the defeat, look, they they punched the ball down, they they, they got perfect scores, look, at the end of the day, look, they ran out two seventeen to one fourteen winners, look. They say goals win games, they got two goals this day. You know, in fairness, they got two goals early on goals. I think to be truthful to you, the Tyrone were chasing the game at one stage they had a finish. Tyrone came maybe three or four points with him, but in fairness, take nothing away for what I'm gonna say. The better team won on the day this day, and, and I believe me, I think, you know, this this team as you said, look, you look back at the history books, look, you see Dublin, they won, they won, they won fifteen, they won sixteen, they won seventeen, they won eighteen, they won nineteen. In fairness, look, their record is there and I don't think it will ever again be broken. 
That's it, because I mean, when you look at this Dublin team, and you know, with all due respect to Tyrone, and they played brilliantly on the day and all that, but it's just like a battering ram. This Dublin team are just like a battering ram. It's very hard to beat them. Uh, but when you when you look at this Dublin team, this is such a you know the starting fifteen for every All Ireland final in that six in a row period. You know, very experienced starting 15 with very few, very few changes in each All Ireland final. It was more or less the same team. There might be maybe one or two changes due to maybe one or two players retiring. Which is what really dawned to me when Dublin, in this, this, this year more especially, Dublin scored 17 goals and 169 points in the eight games in the 2018 Championship. That's a massive score altogether. Hello everyone, how you doing? You're very welcome back to Friday Sport with myself, Aidan Rafferty and the show is always kindly sponsored by Best Drive here in Roscommon Town and we'd like to thank them for their uh, kind uh, kind sponsorship of the show and uh, well, unfortunately we've come to the end of the show. Uh, we hope you enjoyed uh, all the interviews that we had uh, today and I think it covered a wide range of sports and don't forget Roscommon are, are away to Monaghan this weekend so if you're uh, if you're going along to the match, uh, safe drive and enjoy the game. I'll be, I'll be uh, listening to it myself on uh, on the radio or whatever when when they get a chance to and hopefully the the Rossies can make it uh, four out of four out of four it'll be a tough game against uh, against Monaghan but uh, we'd like to wish them all the best and Davy Burke is really waving his magic on this uh, great uh, squad of players and long may it continue so uh, the best of luck to everyone anyone that's going to the game and uh, as Rossi fans let's hope for a victory on Sunday so uh, yeah so the, the last two uh, interviews there that, that we had uh, the uh, part, that was part one of uh, myself and Michael were discussing Gerhard Berger that's uh, part two will be on next week um, you can listen to the full podcast of that interview on Spotify and uh, of course uh, that the, the um, match that I was talking to uh, Tom Dow- Tommy Dowling about was the 2018 All-Ireland Senior Football Final you can listen to the full version of that uh, or the, the remainder of that the full version of that on uh, Spotify as well so we hope you enjoyed what we had for you today and uh, don't forget to tune in again next week and uh, don't forget all the <coughs> all the interviews are uh, online on on uh, Facebook and YouTube and uh, also uh, other other uh, lines as well so uh, we'll talk to you next week bye